You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Hear now the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend... I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. What we're gonna see for the next several weeks is the dilemma that Christians face, which is we are, um, <clears throat> we are in this world, but we're not of this world. That our passport might say uh, USA, but the reality is that's not where our citizenship is, it's in heaven. That our house may be here, but my home is really somewhere else, so it's, it's with him. And there's times when we're living in this world where we feel like strangers. We feel like the Bible says aliens. It feels like we don't belong here. And there's this kingdom of the world and then the kingdom of God. And we are walking around and talking and living and raising families and getting jobs and retiring and all that in this world. But the reality is we're a citizen of another place. And so how in the world do we live in light of that? In fact, I would say, um, if you're living your life and you never rub up against, your values never rub up against the general worldly values, you're probably doing Christianity wrong because the world and God think differently and see differently. And so there are times when it comes into conflict. And so Jesus is gonna give a whole bunch of teachings on this. He's going to tell some brilliant stories about this. And we're hitting a section in the Gospel of Luke that's all about the parables. Now, I will point out in our logo that we, in fact, have a pair of bulls. That is a dad joke for Mother's Day. You're very welcome. The students are so glad they're here and not downstairs. And yes, that's for real. That's going to be up there the whole time we're talking about it. So... Um, <clears throat> 
it's fun to watch people just get it a little bit late, like, oh, parables. Yes, that's what it is. We're talking about these parables of Jesus. And we always talk about, you hear, we talk about parables, and then people go, what the heck is a parable? And some of you are, I see it rippling back right now. That's great. Um, uh, what are parables? And so parables comes from the idea, para is, is next to or alongside, like parachurch ministries or ministries that come alongside the church to serve. And then the whole word parable, the end of it has to do with like casting something or throwing something. And so it seems to be a parable is Jesus has a truth he's going to uh, state and he wants to lay an illustration down next to it so you can understand the truth. So really, it's an illustration of a main point that Jesus is trying to make. It's a, a parable. It's a story um, about it. And most of the parables have to do with this idea of the kingdom of God. He's, he's going to show them, this is, how, <clears throat> this is how you live as a kingdom of, as though you're in the kingdom of God, but you're down here right now. This is how you live. This is what the kingdom of God is. This is how you can live into that. This is how the kingdom of this world is gonna live differently. And so on and on, he explains to them what the kingdom of God is. And we need to know that. And so periodically, over the next several weeks, as we keep going through uh, Luke, you're gonna see the cool little logo with the bulls come up and you're gonna know we're gonna be studying the parables of Jesus. And one of the big messages he has is here's how you live in this world that may be at times hostile towards you. Now, we got to be careful when you read parables because a lot of times um, people read the parable and then they start just, um, since it's a story, they feel like they can just make a million different truths from it. And we're going to be careful as we read them to say, Jesus interprets them and says, this is what it means. And so we're going to stick to Jesus's interpretation. There was a guy at the end of the second century, early third century, Origen is his name, O-R-I-G-E-N. He was a, a Christian uh, scholar. And um, he took this parable and said this. This is how he taught it. He said that in the parable, the man that got beat up is Adam. Jerusalem is paradise. Jericho is the world. The robbers are all the hostile powers of the world. The priest is the law. The Levite is the prophets. The Samaritan is Christ. The wounds that he has are his disobedience. The animal that the Samaritan puts the man on, <coughs> excuse me, is the Lord's body. The inn that they take him to is the church, and the Samaritan saying he'll return is about the second coming of Christ. Now, almost none of that is right, but you can see what happened. He took this and just went, whoo, and started like making a word picture and just started saying all this stuff. We gotta be careful doing that. Jesus is, has a very specific thing that he is going to talk about today and a very specific purpose for it. And so the question is, well, what, what does it mean? And it's in a context that is a lawyer comes up to him. Verse 25, if you have a Bible and you want to look at it, <clears throat> behold, the lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He stands up to put him to the test. This is not somebody who is just saying, I'm genuinely interested, Jesus. He is saying, I'm going to try and trap you. I'm going to ask you this gotcha question, Jesus. And so he's putting him to the test and he's asking a great question about eternal life. This is the thing that we seek, that we long for, and that if we're in Christ, we have. If you remember, when God created everything and then it was perfect and then sin entered and then death entered when sin entered. But even right after that, when Adam and Eve fell, when we, this fallen world that we live in, when they fell, even then God promised that one day he would send a Messiah born not of man and woman, but born of woman that will crush the enemy's head pointing towards Christ that he would one day come and he would do the work that he did on the cross and he would ultimately come again in final consummation. And we would move from death 
to life when we put our trust in him. And so everybody lives forever somewhere. It's are we going to live in eternal death, a part separated from God now and for eternity, or eternal life, that we walk with him, that we have life in him, that we're followers of Christ, and then that we're with him <coughs> for eternity. And so he's asking the right question about what should I do to inherit eternal life, except, see what he asked? What should I do? How can I earn this on my own? The context of the parable of the Good Samaritan is a Jewish lawyer comes to Jesus and asks this question in his own self-righteousness. How good do I have to be? What are the rules? Tell me the rules so I can go do them and I can earn my way to this thing called eternal life without you. This is called self-righteousness. And what Jesus is going to do is actually a very gracious, loving thing. He is going to shatter this man's self-righteousness. And so one of the best things I could do for you today is maybe as you are hearing this, that if you're in that zone where you have that bit of self-righteousness, that that might be broken in us as well. And we might see what Jesus replaces it with. So this guy comes up, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And it says, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So just to be clear, he goes, hey, Jewish lawyer, what do you think the Jewish law says? Meaning, you're coming to me for wisdom, and, uh, and I could just tell you the answer. I don't know why this illustration comes to mind, but you remember Pez dispensers? If you remember them, they had, it was like a little thing that was so junky and cost way too much, and the candy didn't even taste that good, but it came out of like the neck of Casper the Friendly Ghost or something like that. You'd pull it back, and it would give you the candy, and it was like fun to eat, and so we got them. I don't know why, but I, when I think of teachers in this day giving that wisdom, people come and ask questions, and it's like, you just want me to be the Pez dispenser of wisdom. Like, and then here's your answer, here's your answer, here's your answer, here's your answer. And Jesus does a brilliant thing, and he goes, you're a Jewish lawyer. You're asking me a question about the Jewish law? Look at it. How do you understand it? It's much better than just going, here's the answer. We had this the other day at my house, actually. My, my youngest had a really great question, and I, I walked up the stairs, and she said, Dad, I have a question. And I could tell it was a deep one because of how her, her expression. And, um, and she asked a question that had to do with like a little light question here at the Gribnitz household. It was like, um, why, why is Satan here and why are there demons and why is there evil? Did God make them? Did he allow it? Why did he ever do it that way? Why didn't he do it another way? And it was a really great question. I, and I told her, I said, that's a really, really, that's a really great question to go ask your mother. She would love to talk with you <laughs> about that. And she said, mom told me to ask you. So she beat me to the punch. So we had this, and I was tempted to go, okay, well, well, let me just explain, Abigail, and like try to give some answer to it. And I, try, I was studying for this. So I tried something else. I said, hey, listen, sweetie, you're, you're a Christian. I know you're a, you're a young woman, but you're, you're a Christian. Um, you're very active in church. You read your Bible, and you've been around a lot of other Christians, and you go to a Christian school, and no judgment zone or anything. But let me just ask you, what do you think? What do you think the Bible says? And I won't go into more of the story. She gave a really, really brilliant answer, actually, and she put it in kid terms that she understood. Like, she, she had to stop and think and process it instead of me just going, here's the answer. So just memorize that and move on. It was, I'm going to internalize this for just a moment. And that's one of the things that Jesus is going to do. 
Man, if you've got kids, it's a great thing to do. Work with them, talk with them, show them how you think and how you come to what you come to. If you're a teacher, I know you get questions all the time and you just have to go, here's the answer, here's the answer. It's B, it's the square root of nine, it's whatever it is. You've gotta just start saying stuff. Every so often, see if you can just pull kids aside and just talk them through the deeper things of it. Show them how to think and how to process. If you're discipling somebody, mentoring somebody, help them wrestle with it. But perhaps the most important thing in this in verse 26 is the thing that I'm gonna keep beating this drum with every breath that I have. Look at what he says. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He is not asking, what is your opinion? This is really, really important. He is not asking, what is your opinion? He is saying, go back to the word of God in the Old Testament in that day, go back to the word of God and how do you understand it? He's asking a question of interpretation. Now, that might sound like the same thing, but it's not. An opinion starts with me going, well, I just kind of see the world like this, so this passage probably means this. Instead of going, how do I read it? Okay, let me, let me get back and let me look at this and really figure out how to read it. I had a guy um, come in my office once, and he, he had one of those, like my daughter's, really good question, and he'd really thought it through, and it's one of those, like, you can come at it from four or five different angles, and he was going and getting advice, and everybody, someone's coming from this angle, and this angle, and, that, and, that. and so he's like, I'm, I'm just, I'm spent, I don't know what to do, and so he came in, and he said, you know, this person said this, this person said this, and I just wanted to meet with you to find out what you think, and this is literally like 10 minutes of standing like three feet inside my door. And I thought, oh man, this is a big one. And so we walked over to the chairs that I was stalling. I was like, oh man, where do we go here? I walked over and just sit down at my chairs. And he goes, well, actually, hang on. He goes, um, he goes, no offense, which means I'm probably about to be offended. No offense. And I wasn't offended. And he said, I don't really care what you think. He said, I care what you think that God thinks. And I said, that's better. Everybody else had gone through and just said, I think this, I think this, I think this. And what he was doing is he's going, not to be rude, I don't really care about your opinion. I'm not coming here to just get you to just sort of sound off a little bit. I'm coming here because I want to see, does God speak to this and where and what do I need to wrestle with? This is how Christians can greatly disagree on things. And you, we had one this week at Bible study and some people came and met with me and we sat down and I said, well, here's, here's the relevant text. We've got to do something with these. This is now you wrestling with God and me wrestling with God instead of what happens today, which is there's no absolute truth. You decide whatever you want. There's no understood Christian principles that undergird our culture. We don't even agree on our laws and constitution anymore. And we have nothing to come back to. And it just becomes my loud mouth and your loud mouth, my opinion and your opinion. And so we fight and we fight and we fight. And Christians come back and we go, we've got this. Well, how, how do you understand this? How do you understand this? And then you can sit and talk it through. This is why Christians can have great, great disagreement and still be brothers and sisters in Christ. He gives this answer. Oh, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he gives a perfect answer. Look at this. The lawyer answered <clears throat> from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Perfect answer. Here's how I know. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So if you love God and love others, he's asking about eternal life. And he says, if you just do these things, then you will have it. Now, Jesus, he didn't quote this guy. He's quoting the same Old Testament. But later they come to Jesus and they are trying to trick him. And they say, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. We often say the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, the first five are about loving God, and the second five have to do with loving your neighbor. And so what he's doing is he is summing up the entire Old Testament in this one statement. If I love my neighbor, probably not going to covet their ox. If I love God with everything that I have, probably I'm not going to build any idols and go to worship them. Right? So we get these things straight, and then the other laws fall into place. And so he's basically, what he's doing here is he's summing up the man, the Jewish lawyer is summing up the entire Old Testament, and Jesus goes, great, just go do that, and then you'll live. Go live perfectly according to the law of the Old Testament, and you will live. Never, ever err, and you will have eternal life. That's what he just told them. Now, his response should be, Luther and Calvin, they went back, um, uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin, they went back and they started reading through the law and both of them used, um, they used a phrase that they, they read the law and they say, the law crushed me because they looked and said, I can't do this. In Romans, Paul says, the very commandments that, promised to, uh, that were promised life proved to be death to me. I mean, they're looking at this and they, they, they have the same response you and I should, which is to go, just keep everything perfectly and never err. All right, I can't possibly do that. But in verse 29, this lawyer, desiring to justify himself. We wanna be justified before God. And he's saying, I'm not gonna do your way. I, I wanna know what it is so I can go do it myself. Desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? This isn't how it happened, but this is what I picture, that they're sitting there talking and he says, love God and love your neighbor perfectly. Go keep the entire Old Testament. Love God, love your neighbor. Thanks, Jesus. Oh, uh, hang on, just I have a quick question. Who exactly is my neighbor? Because in the Jewish world, your neighbor was a fellow Jew and actually it was a religious Jew, like a good, pious, religious Jew. And so he's going, I better just get some clarification on this, Jesus. Who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, funny story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now look at this map here and you can see, because it says going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And we tend to go, well, that's not down because that's how we think of maps, not how they think of maps. Jerusalem's like 2,500 feet or so above sea level and Jericho is below sea level. So he just told a story about somebody coming from a higher elevation to a lower elevation is all it means. So he's going over here and he's going to the east, to Jericho, coming down this mountain. And, um, <clears throat> and in Jericho, there was this big oasis. And so it was very plausible that this kind of thing would happen. Someone's going from Jerusalem, going to this oasis in Jericho. And so this happened all the time, that there would be robbers that would be out there and know there's travelers and they would go and they would wait and they would jump out and they would attack them and they would rob them. And so even though Jesus isn't going like, you remember that story when it happened, it's very plausible that it, something like this could happen. It would have made good sense to him. All right, this is really, really important. When I just said that a man is going from here to here and some other people jump out and attack him and rob him, not one person thought, I can't believe they used to do that back then. Not one person thought, oh my gosh, how barbaric. Why? Because you tell the story back to Abraham or you just keep telling it until the day that Jesus returns and any Sunday school class, even a child would hear this and would go, yeah, that makes sense. 
That's the world we live in, that somebody could rob somebody else. Nobody ever goes, that's inconceivable in the world we live in. We look around with our eyes and we go, these things could happen. We have police, we have military, we have all these things because we live in this broken, fallen, messed up world. And when we think how self-righteous we are to say, I'm gonna look around and I'm just gonna try and feel better than other people in the broken, messed up, fallen world. We gotta be very careful. Or I'm, gonna, I'm so self-righteous, I'm so pure of heart and mind, I'm gonna create my own truth. Like I can do that. Because when we're creating our, if we're gonna create our own worldview apart from this, it's virtually impossible to take out all the inputs. Like that's where we're getting them, is from the world. And our world is broken and we long for Christ to return when everything will be set right. And so here he is just talking about that and not one of you thought, I can't believe that would ever happen. We go, yes, we get to the point of the story. And now these, these two people come by that the Jewish lawyer would have thought they're very righteous. Be the Jewish lawyer, okay? Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, another religious man, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now you and I know the story. These are the bad guys and he's about to give the good guy in just a second. But if you're the lawyer and you have a perspective that the religious, pious Jews are our neighbor. These are the people we emulate in our society. Oh, the priest, the Levite, and then they go walk by. What he's thinking right now is Jesus is going to say, because they passed by, here's the reason they passed by. They didn't have to stop and help this man, and the reason is is because he was a Samaritan, or he was already dead, or uh, maybe they thought he was already receiving the judgment of God because for his sins, and that's why he was hurt, so he's not going to step in. He is waiting for Jesus to explain why it's legitimate for these guys to have passed him by, so then he can go, oh good, that's the parameters of the neighborhood. And then Jesus says, so here he is going, okay, 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 and then he goes, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Those lawyers' eyes would have gone, boom, really, really big. Going, what did you just say? The Samaritans and the Jews absolutely hated each other. When the Jews were taken into captivity by Assyria, Assyria left some Israelites there, and they sent some Assyrians to go and intermarry with them. And they kept the Jews in captivity and then the Jews were released later and they, the hostility began because they were no longer this pure group of Jews, so to speak. And they became two completely different um, nations, essentially, with animosity towards each other. The word Samaritan is, um, uh, is from the word that means um, keeper of the law. They said, the Jews are not the keeper of the law. We Samaritans are the keeper of the law. They cut out everything in the Old Testament except the first five books and you can still go see the Samaritan Torah or Samaritan Pentateuch. You can go look at that. They took it, they cut a bunch of it out, took the first five books and changed a bunch of stuff. And they said, we are the true followers of God. The Israelites are not. The Israelites said, baloney. They didn't say baloney, I'm sorry. We are the followers of God. We are his people. We, have, we are the keepers of the law and the prophets. They hated each other. There was a time after... Um, uh, so, so the, the Samaritans said you worship at a place called Shechem, on Mount, or Mount Gerizim is right by there, Shechem, and then the Israelites said, no, it's Jerusalem. That's one of the things they changed in their Old Testament was the name of Jerusalem to, to Shechem. They wouldn't worship together. In fact, when the Jews were released from captivity, 
They went back to rebuild the temple and a group of Samaritans went to go say, can we help you rebuild the temple? And the Jews said, no, get away. And the Samaritan response, listen to this, was the Jews are rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem and the Samaritans went and killed a bunch of pigs and as they were working would fling the dead pigs into the construction zone. Why? Now it's ceremonially unclean, it has to be cleaned and it's going to take months and it slowed everything down. Between the two testaments, you can see the Israelites talked about um, the Samaritans. They would speak of them as, quote, not even a people. Quote, the the foolish people that live in Shechem. And they called the city of Shechem, quote, a city of fools. John chapter four, if you remember Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, they're talking, then she goes, wait a minute, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. We're supposed to hate each other. Why are you talking to me? That's the animosity and the level that it had built to. Um, It was an insult in that day to call somebody a Samaritan. One Jewish Christian commentator said this. He said, in that day, to a Jew, the only good Samaritan was a dead Samaritan. They hated each other. And so when he says, then a Samaritan walked by. What does he say? He went, on, he went to him and bound up his wounds. He went to this man and where he's bleeding, risking his own, maybe just um, not being sanitary. He could get sick. He goes and binds up his wounds. Then he does something that cost him a lot of money, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal. Apparently he was gonna ride the animal, which is a, bur- a, 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 a burden to that beast. And then, um, but you go, wow, this is a big journey, so it's worth it. And now what he's doing is he's getting the worst of both worlds. He's gonna have to walk and the beast is going to now take the burden of this man as well. He brought him to an inn and he took care of him. Apparently he stayed overnight. It says the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Two denarii, a denarius is a day's wage. And so this is two days of working solid that he gives to the innkeeper to say, take care of this man. Well, there's a sign in Jericho that we, or not we found, I didn't find it. Archaeologists found it uh, in Jericho that says the cost of staying in, um, in an inn in Jericho was one thirty-second of a denarii of a denarius, which means that it looks like, if that's accurate, he went and said, I'm gonna put you up for the next couple months. He is lavishly loving this man. That's what's happening. This is not just general kindness. This is sacrifice. This is costing me something to love this person. Our, our neighborhood is bigger than you think. That's really the point of this. In fact, R.C. Sproul says it like this. He says, um, there is not a universal brotherhood, meaning like brotherhood, sisterhood, like the family of God, meaning we are not all brothers and sisters in Christ. There's some who are not Christians. He said, there's not a universal brotherhood that just sort of everybody's in. But he does say that there is a universal neighborhood. We lavish love, love, love on our neighborhood. There's no limits to who's in our neighborhood. Their religious view, their political views, I said it, political views, their ethnicity, whether or not they're part of your family, whichever gender they are, male or female, if, if they have money or not, if they're kind or not, 
if it's culturally justifiable to be nice to them or not, is completely, utterly irrelevant. It's irrelevant if they, can, if they have an ability to repay you or you have, um, maybe something you do would give you credit because people will see it and you'll feel good about yourself. He's saying it costs you. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. I would love it if I'd asked him, if I was a lawyer and I go, hey, what does it mean love my neighbor? And he goes, um, you need to love your best friend. Oh, that's great. Or grandparents, if he goes, love your grandkids. That's the high standard I'm calling you. Grandparents would be like, great. I love this Christianity thing. This thing's easy, right? It's the people that you go, I naturally love them. And he goes, oh, the neighborhood is so much bigger than that. That's what he's calling them to. So a couple ways this looks. I'm, I'm kind of glad our teenagers are here because teenagers, let me just give you a situation. You're at school and there's someone who's getting picked on. And we'll say he's in the out crowd over there and people pick on him. And maybe you start picking on him. You kind of talk about him as well. And then you start going, oh, that's not really good. I shouldn't do that. So I'll just sort of take a step back and I'll just be silent while everybody else does that. The parable of the Good Samaritan is is for you to consider saying, I am going to go stand in the gap between that person and this person. And if it costs me that they lump me in with him now, and all of a sudden my middle school years, my high school years are ruined because people are saying ugly things about them, that's okay because I'm going to love them. There was a guy when I was in sales years ago that had someone at, uh, at where we were working that just had a reputation for sort of slithering in and trying to, trying to get his, his hands in something so he could get some commission off it and then take par- partial credit for it. And there was kind of a loophole that he had learned. And there was a guy who, um, there was, a guy who was a believer, and I, I chatted with him a little bit because he was talking about this guy, and it's, this is so hard, and I, I want to make things right, but I don't know what to do. And he closed this big deal, And um, long story short, we had this long conversation and everything he was saying was, do I need to report him? Do I need to go and tell him he's wrong? Do I need to, you know, and everything was like punishing this guy. And then the conversation turned to, how can you love this person? How can you love him really strongly? I didn't really give any advice. I just posed the question. And and the, the end of the story is he finally went to him and um, took this deal that he had been working on and said, we're at odds with each other. It's very obvious. You do some things that I think that I wouldn't do because of my ethics. And he said, I'm a Christian. And he got to just sit there and share the gospel with this guy. And then he goes, I want to make things right. And so he gives him this contract that's about 10 grand in commission, gives him the contract and says, you just need one phone call and then click the little button and then it's yours. I want to start by doing this. $10,000, and he did it. Guy didn't know what to do with it. He was a little shocked. Why would you do this? And he just basically said, because I love you. That was it, because I'm a Christian, and no matter what you've done, I love you. That one guy was not super liked still by anybody else. Those two got along fantastic, because he loved him and loved him and loved him, but it cost him something. This is way more than if that's us and it's the Good Samaritan, way more than seeing somebody on the road and going, man, that is so sad. That makes me sad to see somebody in need. Other people don't get sad. I get sad. What a great person I am. It's more than that. It's more than going, boy, I hope the government takes care of them. 
It's more than going, I hope some organization comes along and will take care of that person. I hope somebody's behind me on the road and I'll shout back to them that there's someone here in need, but I gotta get going. I hope somebody with more money, with more resources, with more time can come along and actually help this person. And Jesus goes, what it means to follow me is you're up. This is why Christians, if you just look at Christianity, that's why Christians are the ones that have started hospitals that pool resources and go, let's just help sick people. Like, are you gonna meet these? I don't even know if we'll meet these sick people, but who cares? We're putting our money together because we love these people even though we've never met them. Who are the ones that go to and become foster parents? Who are the ones that go and adopt children? It's parents that go, I will go and have this child. My life will be changed. I will go and get them and take them and love them. On and on and on. You go to almost any organization that works with the poor and the homeless. And almost anybody that's been there for any amount of time, you can trace it back and find somebody whose life has been changed by Jesus Christ. They're a follower of his. That's what Christians do. So what do we do with this? We lavish love upon our neighborhood and our neighborhood is, sorry folks, way bigger than we think. But the second thing is this, and what he's really trying to do with this guy is he's, when he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he can't even say the Samaritan. He says, the one who showed him mercy, which is kind of a layup because the two did the same thing. So it's got to be the third guy, right? The, uh, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. He is breaking him of his self-righteousness. And quite often we look around at the world and we go, wow, the world, we're becoming so biblically illiterate as a, as a nation. Well, not me. Oh, look at those kids. They didn't raise their kids as well as I did. Wow, I've memorized so much scripture. Way to go me. And we can start to elevate ourselves as though we're earning points with God. And the phrase that came to me is that we need to realize how ludicrous it is when we strut before God. I do wish I could go back in time. I think this would be fun. If I could go back in time and if I'm there watching and I see the lawyer go up and I can't quite hear what's happening and then he turns around and comes back and I go, hey, well, what just happened? And he tells me this whole story. He's, he, I'm supposed to go love even the Samaritans? I'm supposed to cost me personally? Does he even know the Samaritans and what they've done? I'm supposed to go do that? Who in the world could love like that? <coughs> Excuse me. Who could go and love somebody that has sinned against you? That's not perfectly righteous. Who can go and lavish that kind of love on another that costs them so greatly? And you know my response. I would go, you were just talking to him. Christ has done that. That he looked at you and your brokenness and sin. And he said, this is gonna cost me personally on the cross, but I will do it out of love for you. I'd love to wrap my arm around the guy and say, let's go do likewise. That's what we do, friends.